0: Today's Plugged In Podcast is sponsored by Volvo Cars Canada. The Volvo XC40 Recharge is Volvo's first pure electric SUV. It's a powerful drive with no tailpipe emissions featuring more than 400 horsepower and up to 335 kilometers on a single charge. And the integrated Google OS will always keep you fully connected, even without your phone. It truly is an SUV designed for the city and the rest of the planet. Visit volvocars.ca to learn more. Welcome to the latest episode of Plugged In, Postmedia post-media podcast taking you down Canada's electric vehicle highway. I'm your host, Andrew McCready. Today's episode marks the midway point of Season 4 of Plugged In, so in tribute to that, we're doing something a little different. Call it Plugged In's Ode to Self-Isolation. So our guest today is myself, whom, admittedly, I've been speaking more and more with over the past 14 months or so. I know most of you can relate to that. Yes, this does sound a little odd, but not so long ago the subject matter of this podcast, Electric Vehicles, were considered very much an oddity. In that spirit, let's get to my interview with myself. Can't wait to hear what I have to say. Thanks for joining us today, Andrew. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Big fan of the show, haven't missed an episode? I find you to be a charming, witty, and very knowledgeable host. Well, that's very kind of you. Let's start out with the first EV you ever drove and your impressions of it at the time. Well, that would be a golf cart in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina when I was eight years old. My impression was, this is fun, I don't want to play golf, Dad, I just want to drive. And I guess that's probably where I got the bug, not just for electric vehicles, but for driving. Uh, The first car I drove, the first uh, road-going electric vehicle was the first uh, Nissan Leaf, first generation. I did that in part of a uh, contest promotion we did for the Vancouver Sun back in 2012, I want to say. It was for the Vancouver Auto Show, and in conjunction with the New Car Dealers Association of BC, the hosts of the show, uh, the Vancouver Sun had a contest for a reader to win that Nissan Leaf. Um, So to promote it, I had it for six months, prior to the show, and drove it. Uh, It was the first electric. I mean, it was early, early days for electrics. Um, I guess the Tesla Model S was the only one that was out there. Uh, Imev, I guess, Mitsubishi Imev. I saw one or two of those back then, but it was a real novelty for sure. Um, It was a red one, kind of had a bunch of stickers on it, promoting the show, promoting the contest and everything. So it was not indiscreet. Um, but it was, it was fascinating. I mean, I, I found it to be, um, well, I won't say, cha- I mean, challenging. You have to, you have to think about it. The range was about 135 kilometers, um, full charge. So, you know, I had it for six months, which was quite interesting, um, because that was during warm months and cold months, not as cold as other parts of Canada as I am in Vancouver, but certainly when the, you know, when it got colder, had to turn on the heat, had to turn on lights, windshield wipers, that kind of thing. You saw a definite, you know, diminishment of that range. So that was a bit of an education. I did a blog during the time um, every week, updated the blog of driving impressions and, um, you know, how much coverage I had had, how much much, uh, range I was using. So that was really my first impression. I found it fascinating. I mean, the technology obviously is not... It's not rocket science. It's quite simple. It's a battery with a motor um, attached to wheels. So there's not a whole lot of moving parts like a combustion engine. But it was interesting in the fact that I drove from my house in North Vancouver down to our office at the time, which was in downtown Vancouver. And I, and that's down. I live up kind of on the mountain, halfway up Grouse Mountain on um, in the North Shore, North Vancouver, if people are familiar with that. So going there, I actually sometimes made range. So in other words, let's just say I left with a hundred kilometers from my house. I'd get to the office with 106, just simply from coasting and regenning and, uh, you know, that kind of thing. But then the inverse of that is, you know, the 11 kilometer, 10 kilometer drive home up the hill might burn 15 kilometers of range. So it made me realize quite early that, you know, as much as, one looks at the range that one has left, it really isn't um, necessarily relative to the reality of the situation. You have to take into effect um, you know, the, the roads and everything. So it was a it was a real interesting eye opener to EVs and, and probably, you know, convinced me that there was a future for these vehicles. So did that experience lead you down the EV path that you've been on ever since? For sure. I mean, no question about it. When I drove it, it was just, uh, you know, it was it was all the things that still appeal to me about EVs, which is they're quiet, they're smooth. Um, they're, there's a little fuss in, in, you know, you're not having to worry about gassing them up and everything. You plug them in at your home at night, which is quite, you know, quite, Convenient, um, and also, I mean, the reality is that I wasn't paying for gas during that time, paying for power. Um, probably with at the time it was about one tenth of what gasoline was. Gasoline right now in my neighborhood's a dollar a liter. So um, you know, there's a there's a distinct advantage financially to driving one of these cars. It hasn't changed in the ten years I had the Leaf. Um, but what has changed certainly is the um, the range of these vehicles. I mean, as I said, that first gen LEAF had 135 kilometers, you know, the new gen LEAF, the, the the most recent one, the 2021 model, especially the plus has, you know, you're touching 400 kilometers. So suddenly that whole metric of worrying about having enough juice to get around town is gone. Um, uh, you know, it, it obviously still exists if you're going to do a road trip. And, um, that is one of the, limitations of an ev in many people's minds and that's fair you know i think it's uh it doesn't have the uh the simplicity of a gasoline car where you just pull into a gas station four minutes later you're gassed up you're on your way you have to make a lot you have to plan you have to go to an ev charging station you have to spend 20 minutes if it's a dc fast charger to get back up there to 80 so that is certainly a compromise evs and i don't see that changing anytime soon So, speaking of which, what are the biggest issues facing EV adoption in Canada? Is that it? Is it the fact that the range is so important? Well, certainly, you know, there's some recent surveys and polls or surveys, I guess, that have just come out where price and um, infrastructure, which are issues with EVs in people's minds buying them, now they're saying the majority of people are saying it's the range that's the issue, which I I find quite interesting. Um, I think because they are now getting 400 kilometers on a full charge, which is like a full tank of gas. People now who want to buy an EV are suddenly thinking it might fit into their lifestyle, but then they're realizing range, the range is an issue now. Um, which is kind of a paradox because um, when it wasn't a very big range, range wasn't an issue if that makes sense now I guess what I mean is early adopters bought EVs no matter what right they wanted the technology they they liked them they liked the idea of them for many reasons from a from a technological pa- point of view from a from a climate point of view uh, you know an environmental point of view um, but the everyday person wouldn't even think of one because the range on that first leaf was 135 kilometers and that's just not worth it right especially for a forty thousand fifty thousand dollar car now, that thing has 400 kilometers range. So suddenly that's in front of them and they're thinking, hey, that will work for me. But then they think about it and maybe track their own use of their gas car on their trips and realize, well, wait a minute, I need more range than that because when I go to, let's say, Kelowna from here, you know, um, out of Toronto, it would be, you know, up north to the cottage country, Montreal, you'd be going out maybe to the Laurentians you start thinking about that distance more. Um, So I can see why now range is actually becoming an issue, which in many ways is a good news story for EVs, which is kind of strange to say, because um, it is a selling point for these cars now. And it means that there are more people that probably a year or two ago would not have considered an EV that are. So I think it's, It's pointing towards the fact that the adoption rate will probably start going up, but again, it's going to have to come down to maybe getting another 200 kilometers in range when it's 600. But for some people, it'll never work. You know, that's one of the uh, that's one of the the underlying issues of electric vehicles. So let's talk about some of those you know um, consumers out there that you know have made it very clear that they're not ever going to own an electric vehicle Um, there's certainly passionate opinions about that from your perspective how do you approach those kind of opinions of those kind of sentiments well i think what you have to do is it's i mean what i what i've kind of come up with is the fact that um, you ask people or, or you point out to people well Let's look at it a different way. So let's talk about the Honda Civic. I mean, the Honda Civic is a fantastic car. It's a perennial bestseller, has been for decades. Lots of people like them, they sell a ton of them, but it won't tow a boat. So is that does that make it a bad car? Does that make it a, a car that certainly is not worth worth buying? Likewise, um, you know, the F one fifty. Another perennial bestseller, Ford's big pickup truck. What about the fact that I can't park it in my small underground parking garage? It's too big. So does that make it a bad car? So what it comes down to is if neither of those vehicles fit into your lifestyle, if you need to tow a boat, if you have tight underground parking, then you wouldn't buy those vehicles, those respective vehicles. And it's just the same with electric vehicles. When people tell me it won't tow a boat, I drive 800 kilometers. Um, um, you know, I live in sub, you know, very cold temperatures. Well, then probably an electric vehicle not for you then. But that doesn't mean they're not for some people. And I think, you know, we kind of live in this, this either or society where it's all or nothing. And um, electric vehicles will not take over combustion vehicles for decades, decades from now. You know, this whole idea of 2030, 2040, 2050, 30 years from now, there's still going to be lots of gasoline cars around the world. In Canada, I'm not sure. There'll be some um, to do those kind of things that I mentioned. But the fact is you can't discount electric vehicles because they can't do things that gas vehicles can do. Likewise, um, I mean what really what it comes down to is the the only as I tell people, the only thing electric vehicles can't do as good as a gas car is go on long trips without you having to stop every four hundred kilometers and spend half an hour charging it. That's it. They're 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 faster, you know, they're quicker off the line acceleration. They're quieter to drive. The the experience of driving them is is nicer. Um they are a little more expensive. That's changing. But, you know, this idea that they are there's this massive compromise just isn't true. And um, I think there's more at work there with people who don't like electric vehicles. Well, let's talk about that a little. So let's talk about your profession, automotive journalists. Why are so many of them really passionate about discounting electric vehicles? You know, they... they they, they've never been fans. They, they find them to be, you know, compromised cars. Well, uh, you know, I think automotive journalists are passionate about cars and um, they like them how they've always been. There's a huge sentimentality attached to these cars for a lot of these guys and women who are automotive journalists. A lot of them have old cars. A lot of them work on their cars so i think for them the electric vehicle is a threat to that to that car culture that they've grown up with and which is part and parcel of them and i totally get that i have no i have no problem with that kind of feeling um as an anecdote i was always you know i grew up with newspapers print you know reading newspapers and i've lived through the the you know the um disruption of that i've lived through the websites taking that over and i don't i still don't like it you know i still get two newspapers delivered to my house every morning and i read both of them at breakfast and throughout the day doesn't mean i don't read online but i still love newspapers and that hasn't changed and likewise for a lot of these people who don't like electric vehicles it's not going to change for them they'll be able to have their gas cars but the the kind of irrational, um, dislike of electric vehicles from auto journalists, I think is that it's, it's many layered. Um, I think it's, uh, they're, they're experts in what they know. And for a lot of them, electric vehicles confuse them. And I think they don't like that. So, so here's, here's an example of kind of, here's a story that I often think about when it comes to thinking about auto journalists. So about six or seven years ago, I was in uh, LA for the LA Auto Show. Um, and prior to it, at Newport Beach the day before, um, had an opportunity along with a, a lot of other journalists to drive the Toyota Mira, which is the hydrogen fuel, fuel cell vehicle. So an electric car. Um, it was it was fascinating. They did a technical debrief of the whole vehicle. Um, then we got in and drove them. And we drove them around for about an hour we actually, during that time, went to um, Orange County um, Recycling Depot, which, as part of the off-gassing of their operation, created hydrogen, and then they had a hydrogen pump. So we were filling up these vehicles from the off, off, you know, the the, the byproduct of this recycling depot. I mean, brilliant. I mean, from a technological point of view, from a sustainability part of point of view, it was it was fascinating. And I don't know if you remember, but back then they always did the little trick where they'd uh, turn the car on and then there'd be water vapor coming out of the tailpipe, which is just the, uh, you know, the only real uh, byproduct of the process of hydrogen. And, uh, you know, an engineer would get down there with a glass and fill it, you know, half half full or quarter full and then drink it just to show that, hey, this is this incredible, uh, you know, the byproduct is essentially water, which is it, H2O. So then in the question period, um, this guy, you know, a, a seasoned journalist, if you read car and driver, you'd know his name very well. He's a, he's a, you know, um, a hall of fame kind of automotive journalist in America. He stood up and he said, uh, I'm from Chicago. And I have to say that this water vapor coming out of the tailpipe really concerns me because, we have a very cold climate and I'm just thinking these cars are going to create all kinds of icy roads with this water. I think he said pouring out the back, not dripping, but pouring. So there was this kind of, you know, it was, it was fascinating. I was towards the end of the room and there were lots of people nodding. A lot of these journalists were nodding thinking, yes, yes, that's right. This is a, this is, this is a problem. So, um, you know, the, the, the Toyota engineers from Japan were all getting this translated to them and it was priceless because they were so, I think the translator had to kind of explain it to them three or four times because they were looking so puzzled at this question. You know, like, like it was, it wasn't that they hadn't thought of this, but the fact was this was nonsense, you know, this whole very idea. But what it did was it underscored to me how so many of these journalists that are very smart people. I mean, this guy, this guy's a smart guy. He's probably got an engineering degree. So smart in the ways of working of vehicles, but combustion vehicles, he was threatened by this electric vehicle. Um, he wasn't impressed by the fact that we had this, the technology we had and the charging we had done earlier. And the, you know, this whole ecosystem of, of hydrogen, his concern was just trying to find a way to discount the vehicle and tell them there, this is, this is, you're on the wrong track and this will never work. We're, we're committed to oil. And I often think of that. And, and, uh, I, it's, it's one of many occasions. I mean, in the old days, 10 years ago, when I'd sit at dinners with automotive journalists and they found out I liked EVs or was interested in them, it was just ridicule, right? Which was cool. I didn't have a problem with that. But as I said to some of them, um, once Porsche and Audi start making these EVs, you guys will change your mind. And of course, at the time they'd said, oh, those guys will never make EVs. You know, they're performance engines. You don't, you can't make an EV. It's a performance car. Well, as, as all my listeners know, Audi and Porsche are making amazing EV performance cars and surprise, surprise, these journalists now are starting to, uh, gush about these vehicles. However, always with the caveats, they're very expensive and the range issue. So, you know, they love the performance. They love the speed, which they have to admit is there. But it's always about other things; these these bugaboos, range and price. Um, f- you know, just further to that, uh, road and track. You know, which which you know, if you've read road and track all your life, which I have, um, always it's about horsepower and performance. It's about speed. It's about zero sixty time. It's about quarter miles. I mean, just look at the covers over the years. That's what it's all about: is performance and speed. Interesting when they do EV stories now rarely is the top headline how quick they are which they are you know not not zero sixty you know three seconds um you know never about horsepower or torque which which blow the comparable ice ice uh, combustion engine cars away it's always about the range you know and i'm just thinking i've read about the mustangs you know shelby's and gt's my whole life and i've never heard range being an issue you know, They've never said, oh, it only gets 400 miles to the full tank of gas. Well, I mean, in fairness, well, you just fill it up again and you go. So, But my point is there's there's an inherent bias built into the journalist um, when it comes to EVs. And, and I understand that. I, I don't have a problem with it, but I think that it's doing a disservice to maybe the average consumer who is just looking for um, fair information. But having said that, there are also a lot of auto journalists out there that um, who you know some i've had on this show or you've had on your show whoops um that you know understand evs and see them as being part of our automoting future so apart from the somewhat closed minds of those journalists what else frustrates you in the ev space well more on a macro level um I recall one of your past episodes with Unifor president Jerry Diaz on, which, by the way, was fantastic. He was, uh, he he was he was, I mean, he was so well 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 spoken for one, but he was so knowledgeable on so many facets that uh, I, I came away very impressed by uh, him, and I think that probably. Many people, management that have sat across him from his desk or uh, at a negotiating table have underestimated him because he is a crackerjack. So what he said, um, and I encourage anybody who's listening to maybe go back and listen to that episode, Um, he talked about the manufacturing and the opportunity that Canada is facing today in the EV space from the mining to the manufacturing to the development It is something that we are poised right on the precipice of being able to do. But what frustrates me and what I fear is that we're going to be left behind that. Um, Simply because we don't have a centralized... Well, what he said is we need a car czar in Canada. We need a car czar who looks at the country as a whole, not the regions, not the Quebec's, not the Montreal's, not the Ontario's, but the whole country and understands that each region represents an opportunity in different things for evs from building batteries to mining the minerals to manufacturing the cars to designing the cars to producing them and i guess what frustrates me is the fact that we have this right within our grasp and it just doesn't seem like we're moving in the right direction or we don't have anybody we don't have anyone who's kind of overseeing that and and trying to steer that it's like a hundred different cats running in different directions um you know i just read today that lion uh the great montreal uh ev truck builder is just opened uh, is 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 just about to break ground on a um factory to build school buses in illinois and um i mean i'm i'm sure part of that is to sell vehicles into the states which obviously is a massive market but i also think part of it is probably the 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 cost of b- doing business in canada um so i think that's what frustrates me is the fact that we're so close to having an industry that would be great jobs for decades and really make Canada a player in this space. And I have a feeling it's going to slip away and that's, uh, that's frustrating. Okay. Always like to get, uh, our guest out on this last question. Um, in your mind, what will signal the EV adoption tipping point in Canada? Well, I guess I have a problem with that question because it's a you, you ask about a tipping point, and that seems to me to indicate a, a, a point of domination, a point of no coming back, a point of uh, VHS taking over beta. Um, and I'm not sure if that's the right way to look at the vehicle transportation space in Canada, let's say. As I said earlier, I don't think it's going to be 10 years or 20 years before gas engines disappear. So I'm not sure if a tipping point is right to say, um, maybe an acceptance point is, is a way I'd look at it. So, you know, um, you know, I've listened to all your podcasts, as I've said, and many of your guests have great points. Uh, you know, when truck pickup trucks take over or become popular, that's a tipping point. The sales metric when 50% of the vehicles sold or more are EVs, um, when there's price parity, but I don't know, to me, I think there's a couple of things i think one of them is advertising and that might be a strange answer but when i see a car ad on tv in my newspaper online that advertises for the car itself for the ev itself and tells me all about it just like a gas car ads do now you know price um financing um, you know, details about it. You're seeing one or two of those in print maybe now and then, but that's more from dealers. I'm talking about the automakers themselves. That's not to say there aren't automaker EV ads, but they seem to be the macro thing. They seem to be the windmills and the green fields. And it's more of a sustainability environmental positioning of their brand, not a vehicle itself. And there's a number of reasons for that. One obviously is inventory is an issue. Um, it's getting better, but there's no sense in saying, Hey, we've got this amazing EV, get people all excited about it. They go down to their local dealer and the dealer tells you, ah, can't get it for six months. So they don't want to start when, when, so in other words, when I see those advertisements of cars on TV, EVs broken down, come down, look at it. That to me is a point where the adoption rate is probably already there and is just going to get stronger. Um, the, the, the other point is not so much an adoption thing, it's more the industry at large. So what I'm waiting for, and I could be waiting a long time and it might not ever happen, is a Henry Ford to come along and do what Henry Ford did to the gas engine car um, in his time, which was essentially a simple idea, which was to create a gas car that his employees could buy, that could be priced for his employees. So in other words, a car for the masses. And of course, that's what he did. Um, the factory, the assembly line is obviously part and parcel of that. He takes, you know, rightfully has a lot, has a big part of the business, but it was more about producing a vehicle that could be mass produced and mass sold and mass accepted. And I wonder if we're going to get one of those in the EV space. I mean, it could be an Apple car. It could be, you know, there could be some twenty-year-old kid right now who's at MIT that is going to come up with a battery that's cheap and be that. So I, I mean, it's, I find it unlikely simply because the world is a lot more complicated now. It's a lot more globalized. So there's so many little players going on. But that's kind of it, it's more, it's more the innovation side of things that I think will kind of, as you say, signal a, a, a tipping point, is is more the innovation side of things. Um, that's kind of where I think we have to go, and it's like one of those things that you don't know it happens, you, you don't know about it until it happens. So, um, I believe in human innovation, um, I believe in the ability of human beings to be given a problem to solve it. Particularly when we face an existential threat, which I think climate change, I'm not saying it's caused by humans 100%, but let's face it, it is real. Things are changing. So if we put the greatest minds to that, I think we'll, I know we'll come up with solutions. Um, We don't have to look any further than the, the, the existential threat we're all living through right now is the pandemic. And in a year, science came up with a vaccine to you know quell that existential threat and i don't and i don't uh, doubt that in the ev space that will be um that will be repeated and and matched and um in you know i don't know what form it's going to take but i really do believe that and have trust in human beings that's andrew mccready ev expert and senior editor at post media driving Well, in 30 years of journalism, I have to say that's the strangest interview I've ever conducted. That's it for this episode. Much thanks to producer extraordinaire McWanna, and you for joining me on another electrifying journey down the highway. We always welcome your comments and criticisms via email at pluggedin@postmedia.com. at For your dose of all things automotive, be sure to check out driving.ca, where you'll find the best in breaking news, videos, and reviews check out the site's comparison tool for head-to-head shopping and sign up for the Blindspot newsletter, delivered to your inbox every Saturday morning and featuring a roundup of the week's most important and most entertaining automotive news. Speaking of newsletters, check out the new FP Energy newsletter, which arrives in your inbox each Wednesday and features exceptional coverage of Canada's energy sector, including renewables and electric vehicles. Subscribe for free at financialpost.com/newsletters. And be sure to subscribe to Plugged In wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. That way you'll never miss an episode and you'll also be able to listen to all the episodes from seasons 1, 2, and 3.